Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. Today marks the 300th episode of Wealth Matters Podcast. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to all the listeners, subscribers, all the guests. I would not have made it this far without all of you. So I really appreciate all of you. Um, and today I wanted to do something special or different. So I wanted to turn the tables to myself and see and have someone who I know really well and he is going to ask me questions. And I'm bringing back Eric Peoples from episode number 299. So this was the reason I had to episode number 299 with Eric. And then I asked him if he can come back on the podcast and ask me the questions he really wanted to ask me, you know, maybe in person or personally. This would be a great way for me to... Uh, understand what others are looking out from me, right? What others want to learn from me as well. So this this would be a great episode. By the way, check out episode number 100 and as well as episode number 200, episode number 200 as well. We did the same where I had Pranay Patel interviewing me. So today I'm going to have Eric Peoples interview me. As I said, if you have not checked out episode number 299, you must check it out. Eric is a great friend of mine, a business partner on IT, uh, one of my IT businesses. He's also a business partner on a couple of investments we have done together. So we have we have done a lot of things together in last um, 12, 13 years, since 2009, actually. So it's been a, it's been a pretty... Um, Pretty good journey with Eric. It's been a lot of learning and, um, you know, lots of um, lots of uh, guiding each other as well. So welcome back, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Apesh. Yeah, thanks for bringing me back. Back-to-back episodes, pretty cool. No, that's pretty good. I am looking forward to this episode because I want to see what you really want to ask me. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's so, going to be, a, I think, a unique perspective because, like you said, we've known each other for so long and so many various... Um, uh, ventures together. Right. So, yeah, I think it'd be cool. So I think definitely, I mean, when you first started this out, you know, we were still in the, in the throes of the IT side. So, you know, I was never skeptical, but like, it was kind of like, what is this? What is this he's, he's doing when you first told me about it <laughs> and I'll give it to you, man, from that day when you were still getting, buying the domain and getting everything set up till now has been like, crazy progress and i gotta give it to you man i'm truly impressed on you know what you put together with all that Thank i tell you so much <laughs> my wife the other day i'm like man you know you got to give it to him he's done really really impressive to pull it all together get a following get things going all the different um people that have been on your podcast that are variations is really cool to see man i'm truly truly impressed by it you know, oh so. i really appreciate it i really i couldn't have done it without you and a lot of friends like you right that's how i started that i told you oh, i'm starting this can you check it out and i told 50 other friends and slowly they started listening to it since they started sharing and you know now we have um about i would say 400 investors in my subscriber list and we have about over 1,000 listeners, 1,100 listeners or so. 
So it's 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 not amazing, but it's not bad either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no one listens to me, so <laughs> I think that's real amazing. Man. So so I yeah I uh, and and as as you know, you and I have done so many things together. Not everything works out the way we want to. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so right. So even when I started this, I thought, okay, maybe I'll give it three months, six months, because uh, they say that most of the podcasts and YouTube channels fail within six months. Most of them have closed their shops. They are saying about 91% or so would have closed their shops within a year, right? So if you survive more than a year, then you are in it for long term. So, you know, I was looking at it that first six months, let me see if it's working or not, if people are listening to it or not. And and I'll continue to uh, continue going, right? And the goal was to give back the knowledge I had learned, but at the same time, learn from the guests. It truly, truly, that was the goal as well that I wanted to learn. And, you know, a lot of time when you and I chat, we chat casually. When I chat with another, you know, um, person who I have met, I'll chat casually. But when I, when he or she is on my podcast, then I can literally ask them, right? Not only just grill them, but they they will they will most of the time they will also open the you know uh, peel the onions right and and show me the show me what has happened throughout their you know lives or you know they will stay, uh, share their story. So that was a good learning experience for me as well. Cool, cool. So I guess we'll go ahead and I'll just start asking yeah, questions. Yeah, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. So uh, I guess what's the hardest part of doing the podcast? Like just. The, the most difficult thing that you can think of throughout this whole experience? I would say the hardest part is getting started, right? All of us, most of us are stuck in analysis paralysis mode, right? And we never pull the trigger. Key is to take an action. And even at that time, it was very hard to get started because, you know, as you said, you don't know if people will listen to you or not, if you are going to be able to attract really good guess on your podcast or not, right? So, but as you know me, I'm an action taker, right? And even then it was hard for me, basically thinking about topics, camera, microphone, lights, guests, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the hardest part, getting started, right? Getting it off the ground. But once it got going, of course, things started, you know, coming into place, right? Uh, then I was like, okay, if I want to um, have this guest, then reach out to their friends, right? And started networking and, and slowly it became easier, but that was the biggest uh, hurdle for me. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Yeah. So with that in mind, you know, what, what did you learn from getting going? And, uh, you know, how are you going to, you know, leverage that learning in future endeavors and you know what 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 do you take out of this the journey so far to start wealth matters you know and the so podcast. no that's great so definitely one thing is just get started with what you have right if you want start you won't be able to figure out what's missing right without doing something you would not know okay do i need this or not right and and if you watch my first episode or listen to my first episode 250th episode and now you can see a lot of improvement, 
right? Like crazy amount of improvement because the first episode, I was the one who was editing, right? I was the one figuring out everything. By 50th episode, I had someone who was editing. By 100th episode, I had a team. Now they were publishing and marketing on all, all the social media. And again, I'm still not have 100%. I'm not still not perfect. Like you can't compare me to someone who has done thousand episodes or who has, you know, 10 people team behind them. But it's, it's a journey, right? So what, what I have learned are two things, right? I mean, actually three things. One, before starting something like this, build a strong subscriber base, right? That's a good to have, right? Because then it's easier for you to get started. Launch it with proper marketing so it can reach more people, right? Because what it does to you by seeing more subscribers or more listeners, it gives you even more momentum, right? Thinking that, oh yeah, I have so many more listeners or subscribers uh, looking out for my episodes, right? And the third is hire a podcast management company from day one, which is what I did not do. So that way I can continue to focus on a bigger picture. Right. So like you mentioned, starting off with subscribers, how do you get subscribers? Like subscribe to what if you don't have the podcast? No, that's a, that's a great question, actually. So <clears throat> before, when I did not have podcasts, I had already started sharing. And you were sharing with me like I was sharing with you what I was doing. But then what I did, I started sharing with a lot more people through WhatsApp groups, through, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, what I was up to, right? Because then people will uh, started reaching out to me by, you know, by commenting, by DMing me. Oh, you know, where did you buy this deal? How did you find it? All that. So now you are building basically your audience slowly. Now I, I knew who these people are when I'm ready to launch, right? So it, it could be your WhatsApp group. Maybe you become part of 10 different Facebook groups. Their LinkedIn also has the groups. Now you have people when you literally launch, you know maybe there are 1,000 people in this group or maybe 1,000 people who are following you on Facebook, they would, they are ready to consume your content, right? So, but you have to start building the base. No, oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah, like I, I never knew how to actually get started with something like that. So, you know me, I'm not as, I share with people around me, but I don't really share broadly. Right. And I, I never would have known that. So, you know, you mentioned you would have uh, hired a podcast management company from the beginning. Is there anything else like that you've learned from the start till now? That would have caused you to what would you've done completely differently like when you first started out with the podcast with all your learnings to date would there be something you would have done completely different or did you feel the trial by fire and learning as you go was probably <laughs> beneficial right yeah so uh definitely the having the management company right so i don't have to edit i don't have to publish i don't have to figure out what all i need to do right so they can set up my website for the podcast because all of that I had to do myself, right? Set up the website, find the designer, website developers, you know, all those things. And, and the biggest is, of course, you know, figuring out the platforms, all that. So if you have that podcast management slash website, website management company, then you don't have to do all that, right? So you can spend all your energy as well as effort into finding, you know, the right guests, find building the base right as i said subscriber base where you should be sharing all this all your knowledge as well as your golden nuggets right cool cool 
So with with that, what I think was you know, brilliant, really smart, and what you did was you and like I said, I've I've watched it from the beginning. At right. Arm, yeah, I, I can kind of when I've never given you this feedback, so it's kind of interesting doing it right on live. But you know what what I thought was like I said, brilliant and really smart was you got the the subscribers, you got the listeners, and out of those listeners and subscribers, I'm assuming you grew your investor base. Yes. So now you have people that as you come up with your, um, different opportunities and deals, some of which I'm, I'm in on, um, you have a broader audience to reach out to. And like we talked, or you mentioned in the very beginning, and even I think in our last conversation, we I said too, is it doesn't always go as planned, right? right. Everything's not always. <laughs> of course. Um, how do you deal with individuals when your last potential opportunity may may not yet be a winner? It still could be, but right. as, you know, as of right now, maybe it's not. And I learned, or I've experienced, when <laughs> yes. been, you know, I mean, you, you have people, and even if you give them all the due diligence, tell them to do it on their own, you're not recommending anything. If it's not perfect to what they want to hear, they're in your ear about this or that. How, and that's one of the things that I learned. I don't like. I, I don't right. like raising money. I, I think we talked about this before. I, yep. I'm not really into that. I learned that the hard way. But <laughs> how do you deal with that that dynamic and and that? Yeah. So this is a tough one, right? So far, actually, a couple of deals are not going the way I want them to be, right? So it's very hard because you are dealing with a lot of different personalities, right? different mentalities. They all have different goals, even though, and as you said, even even you, when you and I are talking, right, in all of my deals, I always mention, perform your own due diligence. Yes, if you ask me questions about the deal, I'll be able to answer, but I will always be biased, right? Because it's my deal and I'm always, I'm also investing. So I have already done my own due diligence and I feel this is the best deal out there, right? But so if you ask me a lot of time, people ask me uh, my opinion. Oh, is this the best deal? I'm like, yeah, because blah, 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 because of this. But it's it's your duty because it's your money. It's your duty to perform thorough due diligence. Of course, build relationship with operators or partners like me, but you know, perform the due diligence. Now, going back to your questions, right? Two things are very important when things are not going your way. When things are going the uh, way you want them to be, people won't care. That's what I, they, they don't even want to hear back hear from me, right? If I email them, well, no response, nothing. It's it's when the things don't go right. Then two things: one is communication and transparency, right? So as long as you provide constant communication, right? Because when, as I said, when things are going, then, you know, once a month or even once every three months, if they hear, they, they are fine. But when things are not going the way you want them to be, then you want to be in touch, in, in, in constant touch, right? And that's what I try to do. Sometimes I may not send mass email, but I know some of the investors who have asked me, right, I'll reach back out to them and ask them, you know, this is what is happening behind the scenes. And I just want to keep you posted, blah, blah, blah. And transparency, right? It's okay. We know that 
even when people invest directly in stock market and a lot of time they do due diligence that sometimes they don't they just hear from friends like you and i used to invest in stocks right and options, sometimes <laughs> yeah, and options i remember you telling me oh i bought this option and i'm like i don't even care how, how you did it i i was like show me the ticker symbol how exactly does that option look the call or whatever i didn't even understand what call or put was <laughs> i remember that and i would just place the order and and knowing that i may lose that money right yeah. that that was the thing i knew up front that okay that 1000 bucks 2000 bucks i'm going to lose you know if it uh, so that's the thing sometimes that is the due diligence you perform right and sometimes you go through thorough due diligence and then also things will not pan out right so this is uh, another investment this is what you know all of us need to understand but from my side the key is to communicate constantly as well as you know provide transparency that this is exactly what is happening. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer because if I look at all the, any of the ones that are problematic to me, it's really the lack of communication. You know, yes. it's like, I don't want to have to go chase somebody down. I know it's bad. Yeah, I know it's bad. I don't want to chase you down for you to tell me it's bad. Just shoot me an email once, whatever exactly. it is. You know, clear communication. I think I agree. And you deal with a lot more people than than what yes. I do. You know, I, I, mine's much smaller. Yeah, group. right now we have like 100 investors. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine that, right? I wouldn't yes. I wouldn't want to deal with that. Yeah. So I tip my hat to you. I couldn't do that. <laughs> I learned that I can't do that. Uh -oh. Yeah. So um so uh, I guess going back to that, your deals, right? Like you said, you know, if it's your deal, you're naturally biased, right? Any deal that I have, I'm naturally yes. biased because I'm putting money into it. I, I've done my due diligence. I think it's going to work. I believe in it for whatever reason. Right. Do you have like a, on all your deals, do you put substantial amount of your own money into it? Or is there some where you're more a broker, so to speak, or maybe broker is a bad word, but, you know, less amount or do you, is everything that you're in, you pretty much go in wholeheartedly yeah so yes a great question by the way so most of my deal and i would say 90 plus percent of my deals i would put at least the minimum investment required so if i'm asking you to put this 50000 in it or 25000 in it then i will be putting at least the same amount and of course you know i don't have you know money money doesn't grow on my trees either so if i'm doing 10 deals a year I'm putting at least, if I say 25K minimum, that's 250,000 a year, right? So so I tell people, this is why I can't put, like even if I like a deal, I can't put 100 grand into it because I have other deals to satisfy. And I want to show everyone that I have skin in the game, right? So I don't wanna be in that situation where, you know, I ask you to invest, but I have not put any money in it, right? And And that has happened in some deals like Bitcoin mining fund. And the reason is because as you know, and you invested in it, I have personally, know, that some of the Bitcoin mining fund we did back to back, right? Mm -hmm. So like I have invested in Bitcoin mining fund one, two and three, but not four, because four literally came a month after three. And of course I had already significant money into Bitcoin and cryptos. Right. But I did put in fund six because it was like about six months after fund four. 
right so 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 like that is one example where i did not end up putting putting money into the deal and i made sure when i was speaking to all the investors letting them know yes i believe in it but i already have significant money into it right so that is and it those are exact same deals they they did not differ so that is the only time where i would not invest there is one other scenario recently where i was investing and i had to let another investor in so i had to back up my i have to remove myself from that investment and i i really want to invest in that deal actually we are closing on that mobile home park portfolio next week but that investor needed depreciation for this year desperately so i was about to wire fund and he he had called me and he's like man i really need at least you know 50k worth of depreciation and i said okay this will give you about 30k if you put 50k and that was the last 50k left so i had to let him invest so that may be the other scenario but otherwise i would always always invest in my own deal because otherwise you know so i i have never i don't try to do like brokerage or anything because of course and on the flip side i don't even have license to do that so right. I can't because I need a series seven license. I'm not a fund manager. I'm not a wealth advisor or financial advisor. So I can't just broker deals. Uh, that would be a you know strict no-no from SEC perspective. So that's why you know I'll always have skin in the game. That's good. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, like I said, those things I always wanted to ask how it works, but never never did. So it's good to hear that. Um, where are you in the short to medium term, like the next, you know, year, maybe year and a half? Where are you focusing on putting your your own money into? Where are you looking to try to same same thing with your? Like you've been noticing you've been doing the mobile home parks, right. self storage. I wish I would have done that first mobile home park deal with you in Alabama or Mississippi or yes. one of those places. You know, I wish I would have gotten in on that one, and I kind of wish I would have done the uh, build from scratch. Uh, the senior housing. Yes, so, that yeah. one is actually doing really good. We are yeah. about to be done. Nice, nice. So yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Right now, uh, Ian, you and I have discussed this offline as well, right? Right now is the time to be definitely to be conservative, right? So I'm not. That's why you know a lot of people already reached out to me uh, even this month. As I said, a lot of investors are looking for depreciation, including myself. <laughs> including I really need it as well. But sometimes, you know, I give preference to investors so that there is no conflict of interest. And that's why I, let, I had to let that deal go when he said that I really want to invest, even though I personally need depreciation, right? So, but dep depreciation is one thing, right? You have to make sure that the deal makes sense. Right. The lot of because even for, and I had made that mistake before. So right now I'm not making it. I just don't want to invest in a deal because I need some loss, right? A paper loss. Right. If the numbers don't work, there is no reason to do it. So a lot of investors have been reaching out to me why there is no other deal, no new deals. But I am pretty much analyzing tons of deals. I would say about still a couple of deals every week. Just that numbers don't work right? Or I'm worried about that market. So I'm still going to continue to put my money into it, but I'll be conservative, right? Still, my focus is inflation or recession-resistant assets. And recession-resistant assets are 
mobile home parks, senior housing and self-storage, right? Especially a uh, self-storage as well. And, and another asset actually I'm looking at right now is RV parks. RV parks killed it during recession. I mean, during COVID time, because a lot of people started buying campers and RV and started living nomad life because they could work from anywhere. But they are continuing that lifestyle because they have already put either significant money into an RV or they have invested. You know, I know a couple of friends, they have sold their houses. Yeah. They are just roaming around all over the country. So actually, as of now today, I'm looking at an RV park deal, which you all, uh, which is closing next week as well in two weeks. And um, I, I started with me looking for depreciation, but now that after analyzing about six deals, this deal looks like a great deal, and it's right in by in uh, San Antonio, Texas. So that's that's the key. One one is finding inflation or recession resistant assets, and second is very important is the market. Right? Yeah. Don't forget the markets, and and the markets like ours, um, the Pacific Northwest, right Southwest, the which went up crazy, are bound to correct, right? But the markets, we even though they went up, but where there is enough migration, where there is enough job growth. Those markets will do fine, and right now I'm I'm seeing that in, of course, Midwest, because of all the you know manufacturing industry. Right, we are trying to build back right America. So the goal is to bring back a lot of the jobs. So Midwest is still growing a lot of lot of parts of the Midwest. Like that's where we are. Why we are building our senior housing facility in Iowa. So Iowa is doing really great. Indiana is doing great. Missouri area is doing amazing. So some of the markets, of course, you know, I can't talk about all the markets there, but I think those three markets we are watching very closely and we are actually investing in those markets uh, as well. And then if you look at the Southeast or the Sunbelt markets from North Carolina to South Carolina, they, they are on fire and they will continue to do good because a lot of people are still moving there, right? A lot of jobs are moving there. And of course, don't forget about Florida and Texas, right? Though those markets, you know, maybe single family will correct, but then if single family corrects, those play people still need a roof to stay, right? They they will move from single family to apartment buildings or, you know, see, uh, I mean, the mobile home parks, or they will end up downsizing and uh, uh, will store their stuff in a self-storage, right? Because <laughs> when you downsize, that's why self-storage always does really well during recession. Because people downsize and they got to move their stuff. And most of we Americans, we don't give away stuff, Right. We think that all of these are our prized possessions and we need to keep them even though we will never touch these things. So where do you go? You put it in a self-storage, pay 40, 50 bucks a month and forget about it, right? So, so still focus on the same assets, just that now you, know, you have an interest, interest rate component to keep in mind, right? So you have to make sure the cap rates work. And the second is do not rely on rent growth anymore. So always when we were underwriting before, there was a rent growth component. We were underwriting with two to 5% rent growth minimum, right? For now, I'm saying for two years, no rent growth, right? So some you have to be conservative. And even after putting all those, like looking at the market, looking at the interest rate and, and, and no rent growth, even doing all of this, if the deal makes sense, go for it. Yeah, that's smart. That's good advice.
I'm trying to think. So, I mean, you kind of, I was going to ask, you know, are you going to invest any different with the recession and inflation coming and, or here, but you kind of answered that just right there. So, I mean, I guess what would be your, you had to come up with like some, you know, out of the park pro projection. Um, what, what would it be? You know, if you're going to, you're going to, someone's going to take a risk and they have, you know, truly disposable income to throw at something, would you throw it at crypto right now? Or do you feel it's going to go down a little bit more? Or would you throw it in real estate? Would you throw it in stocks? Something else out there that I can't even think of, you know, uh, <laughs> just something that what's your, what's your just risk on asset? If you want to hit a home run that, you know, it might, it might hit a home run. It might completely fail. You know, what, what would that be? So um, I would say cryptos, and, and they will definitely go down. But if you are just doing dollar cost averaging, you will be fine, right? So I think if you just want a home run, then maybe allocate 1% to 5%, again, depending on your you know risk appetite of your portfolio to crypto. And by end of next year, I think things will start moving. And as you and I have seen in different, you know, last couple of cycles, the Bitcoin halving cycle, right? The Bitcoin halving will happen uh, May or June of 2024. So right about six months before that, crypto start moving, right? And so by end of next year, we'll definitely see the momentum. Also, real estate. Definitely, definitely do real estate. And I, I tell everyone, that is the real asset, right? For, you know, stocks and cryptos, great. You know, you can throw some money at it, but real estate is where you can literally build generational wealth in the safest way possible. Of course, you can still, you know, may not make money, you may lose money, but it's a real asset. It's something you can touch or feel, right? So that's um, my, I have more than 50% of my portfolio in real estate. And of course, you know, that is why I talk about it all the time. Uh, just uh, pick the right asset, right? And the important thing is if you are doing it on your own, uh, you already know, study the market, the location. That's the key before anything else, the numbers and all that, you can manipulate because it's Excel, right? <laughs> the way you want, right? When you are biased, you are going to let sleep, uh, things sleep, right? But if you focus on just the market first and then the location, right? If it's self-storage or car wash, right? We spoke about it. It's very important to have the drive-by traffic, right? It's very important to have it right where it's easier to get to, right? Well, but if it's a, if it's a nice a a class apartment building, people want it somewhere secluded. They don't want you know they they, they yeah. don't want it that they don't want somewhere that someone can get it get there easily, right? So so those are some of the things you have to look for. But I would definitely say you know crypto is one of the top one. But if you want a little bit safe play, then real estate is the way to go. I think it will still correct. And people are worried about interest rate. But you and I, we are not worried about interest rate. You and I should be worried about the price we pay, right? It's very, in real estate or in stocks or in cryptos, you know where you make money, right? When you buy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't care if the interest rate is 10%. If my buy price is right, I don't care. They, we know that historically interest rates have been like 10 to 12%, right? 
just that last 10 years were anomaly, but now everyone is getting used to it. So the government is not going to be able to keep it at 10%. No. We know as soon as they find out that recession has hit, and usually people find out after about two quarters, right? As we know, because we look at the last two quarters worth of data and then they declare, oh, it's a recession. So by the time we find out, we are actually not in recession or we are getting out of it. That, that's what happens. The recession cycle, if you look at all the cycles, they are really narrow and small. The bull run is always longest, right? And we just saw that, that we have been in the largest expansion cycle we have ever seen, right? So I think by end of the year, and this is my prediction, uh, but uh, this is after listening to a lot of people like Peter Schiff, Jim Rickards, uh, George Gammon, and a lot of the, you know, of course, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, and a lot of the other big guys. And they are saying by mid of next year, Fed will stop uh, increasing interest rates. That's by mid of next year. And by end of next year, they'll start lowering the interest rate. That is what it seems again. And then you know, what happens when they start lowering the interest rate? Everything will start going back up because yeah. now people will start buying because they don't need to hoard cash. Now they can start investing in the in the right assets. So I, let's see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's good advice. It's good advice. Yeah. This was great, man. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Good answers, man. <laughs> no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I had fun, man. <laughs> yeah yeah me too and i think it's like you said we know each other so the questions can be a little more pointed and a little more different than right. random you know <laughs> yes so, yeah. no that's why this was great i enjoyed yeah no me too for sure man anytime thanks for listening to the wealth matters podcast if you enjoyed it please leave us a five-star rating on itunes so others can enjoy the show too have a great week and happy investing